Chapter 4 Off With Her Head The Queen had only one way of settling all difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she would say, without even looking around. Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland September 25th, 2008, Thursday the day before my national execution, I accompanied an optimistic Stefan Dion on a special visit to the Asper Jewish Community Center. The center is an enormous achievement for Winnipeg's Jewish community, hosting classrooms, galleries, a theater, a fitness center, and cutting-edge programs for the public. We were warmly received. Mid-afternoon, I headed out to knock on doors in a suburban apartment block. I love this. A handler had been assigned with the sole function of dragging me away from the people behind those doors, their stories, and their questions. At about the same time, unknown to me, a few media were mysteriously dropping in at my still-assembling headquarters, scattering my volunteers. Late Thursday afternoon, I returned to an almost empty office, abandoned, except for a couple of unflinching supporters. When I called and reported this mystery to Liberal headquarters in Ottawa, a public relations officer explained that my anti-Israel views had been brought to their attention by leaders of Toronto's Jewish community. Then he asked me to submit a retraction of a newspaper column I'd written six years earlier. The party thought an immediate and abject apology would be best. My anti-Israel views? On my end of the phone, there was prolonged silence. I was literally speechless. This made as much sense to me as calling me a terrorist. Later, I would learn that the story had started the previous evening when a no-name Winnipeg blogger inspired a tsunami of partisan moral outrage on the Internet. He had read a column I wrote six years earlier in a Winnipeg newspaper that challenged the official story of the events of 9-11. That column infuriated him. He clipped and filed it. Now, his scoop was that the Liberals were running a conspiracy-mongering anti-Semitic candidate in Manitoba, and that would be me. The blogger's personal opinion that the 9-11 Truth Movement comprised idiots, extremists, and anti-Semites caught fire when it reached National Post writer Jonathan Kay. Kay congratulated the blogger for finding and outing me on the Internet. The blogger later said he had no idea I had an internet presence. He was working from his years-old clipping. Jonathan Kay would later admit twice on the post platforms that he knew next to nothing about the 9-11 truth movement. The post's validation of the blogger's story was the boost it needed to become really hot news. It was an unchallenged opinion from an anonymous source, but no matter. It provided other media with the kind of election story that CBC parliamentary reporter Julie Van Dusen once called a bright, shiny object, a distraction. Stunned, I told the Liberals' PR officer on the phone that no matter how politically desirable an apology might be, 
I could not apologize for things I did not write, things I did not believe, or views I did not hold. Nor could I discredit other serious journalists whom I'd referenced in my column, at least not without looking spineless and foolish, like the kind of politician the media, the public, and I myself would hold in contempt. Shaken by my conversation with Ottawa, I wrote and offered instead what was true, that I was deeply distressed that anyone would interpret my journalism as anti-Semitic. I heartily apologized for any such perception. In Ottawa, the Liberals laboriously considered my statement and declared they were well satisfied. And relieved, I went off to bed, thinking I've seen the end of it, and I slept well, excited about the next day's campaigning. While I slept, the then-Canadian Jewish Congress, Benebrith Canada, and the Harper candidate in Thornhill, Peter Kent, were demanding my head on the proverbial platter. Overnight negotiations between the Liberals and the offended parties continued, and by Friday morning, my statement was no longer acceptable. Bernie Farber, head of the Canadian Jewish Congress, described what he called my non-apology as rambling and batty, and ultimately as inadequate and obstinate. The Tories would gain a lot just by eliminating me. The deadline for nominations had only just passed, so there would be no Liberal candidate on the ballot in my riding. Now Stefandion was under heavy pressure to assert his leadership, which had already been devalued to near invisibility by the Harper ad machine and the media. According to the Globe's market Wente, if Dion's pulse got any weaker, he'd need a transfusion. Dion was also keen to stop the increasing flow of Jewish support from the Liberals to Harper's Tories. He had little choice but to respond to the indignation around me with all speed. And there were strategic circumstances in Winnipeg to consider. The Liberals had a popular Jewish incumbent in Winnipeg South Centre, Anita Neville, a long-term friend of mine. A source in her campaign headquarters explained to me in confidence that among her many supporters, several were threatening to withdraw their financial and electoral support from the Liberals if my anti-Semitism was not dealt with swiftly. On Friday morning, about 24 hours after Stefandion had appeared proud to have me standing with him as a star candidate, he threw me under the big red bus telling the media I was not fit to run for Parliament, and I was officially gone. An hour later, the media informed me of this news in a film scrum, a fine bit of theatre which the entire country enjoyed as a news clip by day's end. Back in the swampy territory of social media, self-described citizen journalists were high-fiving each other because the media had finally bought that truthers were anti-Semitic. My dismissal was clearly a breakthrough moment for them. The blogger's scoop, as told by federal election reporters, had a happy, righteous ending. 
an anti-Semitic liberal candidate had been discovered and dispatched from the race for a seat in Canada's parliament. Good work all around, 